106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. see everybody calling Donald Trump a racist today because he said if if you don't love this country then you can leave people are saying that that's not presidential well I'm not a president so let me tell you this if you don't like this country then you can leave get out of here we don't want you here if you're not happy bye just like anywhere else. If you go out for, for a double cheeseburger and you don't like the restaurant, what you gonna do? You gonna leave, right? Am I lying, huh? If you go out skating and you don't like the skating ring environment, what you gonna do? You gonna leave. So the same way go for this country. If you don't like it here, leave. And if you can't afford to leave, Please believe me, I will help you. I got a couple friends that will help you. We will get you out of this country if you don't want to be here. You shouldn't be anywhere if you're not happy, okay? If it's not a happy home, find a new home. Bye-bye. It's the same way it goes when you are in a relationship. If, if, if you don't like your man, what you do? You leave him. If you don't like your woman, what you do? You leave her, okay? So if you don't like the president and you don't like this country, then get out of Dodge and go find a new president. Go find a new leader. Go find a new country. Good morning, good afternoon, or in the middle of the night, however you're <clears throat> having this uh, podcast. This is Lou Benninger, and uh, this is our 17th episode uh, of No Hostages Radio. And maybe this is your first uh, chance to get, get a hold of us. <clears throat> so let me tell you a couple ways that you can give us some feedback before we get into the subject matter today. Uh, we're broadcasting out of Northern California. That's up above uh, San Francisco and Sacramento and what we call the state of Jefferson area. And we are uh, hoping one day to have a state of Jefferson, a different state from California. We're very rural. I was uh, just fly, flew back from uh, Vietnam a few hours ago, and I was sitting next to two uh, young men from Korea and explaining to them uh, they were flying in to go over to Berkeley for a few days to set in on an MBA seminar, Masters of Business Administration. And uh, they were asking me about California. So I was explaining to them Northern California up north here is pretty sparsely populated and and uh, a lot different than Southern California. And people just like different things, or maybe they have a job in a certain area of the country, but a lot less population, a lot more farming, just the opposite in Southern California. So we're up here broadcasting, uh, and we're on here uh, once a week, and uh, you can connect with us a couple ways. We Again, Lou at NoHostagesRadio.com, or you could, you could uh, text me at 530 530- Seven one three one eight three eight five three zero seven one three one eight three eight, 
and uh, people people are connecting both ways. So uh, I wanted to begin today. As I mentioned, I just got back from Vietnam. I do some projects in Vietnam and Cambodia. Cambodia uh, was communist. Uh, now it is not communist. Vietnam is still strongly communist, like the Chinese uh, are communists. And so it's interesting when you go there because there is some very repressive uh, aspects of the government. And uh, it's a police state, essentially. People think, uh, you know, a lot of left pe- left-wing people in the United States claim this is a police state. Far from it. You need to go to one to really get a, a drift on what it's like. So uh, we work around some projects over there, do some projects, and pl- the police are always sticking their nose into our business. And But the other thing that's going on in that country is it's much both China and uh, Vietnam are much more capitalistic than we are. And they are booming, and it takes them much less time to, say, put in a uh, underground railroad or subway or muni or whatever you want to call it. Uh, they can build highways quicker. They can build beautiful uh, first-class uh, airport terminals that are better than ours, cheaper than ours. They just get infrastructure done much quicker, much easier. Uh, business is booming in both of those countries. But I don't want to dwell on that, but I, I just want to let you know that uh, a lot of these people that talk about uh, communism, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, and there's some areas in the United States are much more repressive than communist countries right now. So, uh, you know, if you've ever heard of the, the idea of putting a frog uh, in a pot of water and then slowly turning up the heat, uh, and it will just stay there until it dies. That's kind of what's happening to the United States with socialism, uh, is we are a full-blown socialist country at this time, and a lot of people still have their mind back in the 1940s, 1930s, 1950s, when it was uh, more of a capitalist uh, republic. So uh, thanks for listening today, and as I mentioned, we're going to be on here probably for two hours and 20 minutes And uh, we'll try to keep it interesting for you. Every week, I like to start off with a couple things that people have sent me or I stumbled across that I think are fascinating uh, bits of information. So uh, this says a real American hero, retired Navy commander John Wells, who is also executive director of the Military Veterans Advocacy group based in Louisiana, was chosen by the New Orleans Saints football team to receive its People's Health Champion Award for highlighting the health and well-being of our military veterans and their families. Uh, It's an honor to be, uh, he said, it's an honor to be recognized for the good work uh, one is doing in the community to make a difference in the lives of neighbors. Uh, But uh, Mr. Wells, Commander Wells, says, uh, again, it's it's not only it, it's nice to be recognized, but sometimes you have to look at who's doing the recognition and who's bestowing the honor. And uh, so what Commander Wells uh, told the New Orleans Saints when he refused to accept the award. Most people, you know, they, they get a chance to get an award. They just they ignore everything else and they just they want to have their ego stroked. Uh, But Commander Wells said, although I am touched and honored to be selected for such an award, the ongoing controversy with the NFL players 
uh, disrespect for the national flag forces me to decline to participate in the presentation, he said. I am unable in good conscience to enter an NFL stadium while this discourtesy prevails, since this award is tainted with the dishonorable actions of the NFL and its players, I cannot accept it. Uh, I think that that's a great way to respond <clears throat> to the disrespect that not only uh, our military gets, but also our law enforcement and uh, people that protect us on a daily basis. And a lot of times we miss those opportunities to make that kind of statement, and we just go on with our lives. So uh, thank God for Commander Wells. Uh, he sounds like he's doing a great job down in Louisiana. Uh, I also wanted to, this is something that was sent to me. It's uh, it was said to be written by a guy named Roger Sandman, S-A-N-D-M-A-N-N. And, uh, it was written here a week or so ago. And he says, I've been thinking about the whole America was never great idea that seems to be in fashion with a lot of liberals and young people today. The other day I was driving to the the countryside of the Czech Republic. I have, I have a job and have had jobs in the past that have allowed me to see a large part of the world. As I was driving, I saw out of the corner of my eye what looked like a monument and a plane propeller. I turned around and went back here in the country, uh, in this country of Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, a halfway around the world, I found a well-kept monument to the sacrifice of brave young Americans uh, in World War II. The paint on the propeller was fresh and bright, and the flowers were tended. And there was a granite slab explaining that a B-24 bomber had been shot down and four members of the crew had been killed in that spot. Uh, and at the bottom of the, uh, the whole... Uh, slab that was erected there with this propeller that was attached to the front of the slab, just like it would be attached to the front of a plane. It said, don't forget that they fought for your freedom. And uh, along with this uh, write-up was a picture of that propeller, which is, it was amazing looking. Uh, so Sandman goes on to say, uh, why have so many Americans forgotten the many sacrifices that our young men have made around the world for so many people they never even met. Uh, a few years ago, actually, it's been a, oh, shoot, it's been uh, 20, 25 years ago, a friend of mine uh, wanted me to go to Philippines with him. I'd never been to the Philippines. In fact, I'd never been to Asia at that time. And at that point in my life, I was in my 30s. He said, we're, you know, want to plant, we're helping Filipinos plant churches in the Philippines and and why don't you come over and check it out and see if you guys want to partner with us. So uh, I went over, and uh, so we flew into Manila, the capital, and then we later in the trip flew over to another island. The Philippines is, I think, all kinds of islands, right? Philippine islands. We flew to another island and landed at Tacloban, and then we got in a vehicle and drove uh, to an area called Leyte, L-E-Y-T-E, and I don't know whether you remember this in World War II, if you know your history, I know, I know very, I know surface facts. Uh, but the uh, Americans uh, had a, a position during the war in the Philippines and the Japanese overwhelmed the Americans and uh, General MacArthur uh, fled with in, in retreat and he, his uh, 
comment when he retreated was, I shall, I'll be back. I'll return. We'll be back. And so sure enough, uh, they, the Americans, the allies returned and overwhelmed the Japanese and retook, uh, the Philippine islands. So the Philippine islands have a very favorable uh, feeling all ever since world war two, uh, of, of Americans. And even, you know, when I was traveling there, I think in 89 or 90, uh, they would refer to me to Joe, like GI Joe. But when we were driving along the ocean in Leyte, Leyte or Leyte Gulf, uh, there was a, a fantastic monument that's actually built right into the ocean, right in the water, the low water, uh, as it comes up to the beach. And uh, it's like a, they've created it like a big uh, pond, a shallow pond, right, right as the ocean comes up into it. And uh, there's these massive uh, bronze military figures in full helmet, and all the regalia that folks wear in war. And there's like three or four uh, military, U.S. military guys, one being Doug, Douglas MacArthur. And uh, it shows them walking out of the water uh, as they've been dropped on the beach, towards the beach. And they're, they're uh, entering the Philippines for the second time. And then there's a large monument, and stone monument. I can't quote you. I probably should have, uh, I could have pulled it up on my computer. But if you've ever read, read the book of Isaiah, these, it's like full of these proclamations from God. And the proclamation that MacArthur wrote was godlike of, of them overtaking the Japanese and, and fulfilling their promise to uh, set the Philippines and the Philippine people free. Uh, so as I've traveled around the world, uh, myself, I've also seen these kind of monuments. So I'm going to go on and, and this, uh, Roger Sandman, he's, he's talking about the different places in other countries that have honored American, uh, people that have given their lives for their people. So he says, uh, he asked the question, why so many people have forgotten the many sacrifices? And I, I would say one of the reasons is that uh, they're not teaching uh, this in school anymore. And so if you uh, ignore a topic, uh, then kids never learn about it and they're ignorant of that topic. And so they're not going to have the respect and gratitude and honor towards those that have given their lives in other countries to protect those folks and us. So he, uh, Sandman goes on to say the cemeteries at Normandy where thousands of our young men died free to free a continent. Uh, he said, I've seen American uh, America Road. That's the name of a road. America Road in Kancha, Kanchanaburi, Kanchanaburi, Thailand, named along with other allies in honor of Americans who sacrificed in Thailand in World War II. He said, I've seen a monument in St. Marie Iglesia, uh, France, honoring a, the paratrooper who landed on the church spire as he paratrooped, uh, as he dropped into the city. Uh, he said, I've seen the monuments in South Korea uh, thanking our country for their freedom. Uh, while just a stone's throw north, their fellow countrymen suffer famine, poverty, and despair at the hands of a dictator. On the other side of the coin, he said, I've seen the POW camps in Singapore and Malaysia where allied and American men were tortured and where, uh, were uh, worked to death by ruthless uh, 
the enemy, Japanese enemy, ruthless Japanese. Uh, I always think of the bridge on the River Kwai. There was a, faint, a movie when I was a youngster, and I've, I've actually seen it not too many years ago, and it still had an impact on me. Uh, he said, I've walked the railway at Auschwitz, where hundreds of thousands of innocent people died under the hand of an evil nation. American soldiers and sailor, sailors and airmen fought and died to stop these atrocities around the world. Uh, during World War II, he says, uh, America came as a, as a liberator, even to the nation she defeated. America rebuilt and restored freedom to the Axis powers. That were the evil powers. Germany and Japan rose out of the ashes of failed totalitarianism to today being shiny, shining examples of democracies and economic powerhouses. What other nation in the world has done this for its conquered enemies? I, I talk, uh, uh, you know, when people always ask me, when I'm in Vietnam or Cambodia, oh, what are you doing? Are you here on, you know, it's just a kind conversational thing. What are you doing? Are you you're here on vacation? I was, I, the hotel I stayed at was loaded with Muslims in Vietnam in District 1, people from Malaysia vacationing over there. And they're always wondering, what do you do here? What, you know, why are you here? Vacation? How long are you going to be here? And I always tell them I do humanitarian work, you know, depends on who asks, whether I'm going to talk about church or whether I'm going to talk, say, just humanitarian work. But they always comment, uh, but they're amazed at that. That's very common for Americans to do around the world. You run into Americans in every country doing Christian or humanitarian work, and you don't run into foreigners, that many foreigners, other people, other nations doing that. So uh, Sandman goes on to talk about the the areas of suffering uh, where uh, he ran into that as well. And that that not only did America liberate the the countries of its enemies, but it helped rebuild their uh, it's it's just an amazing uh, generosity that we helped rebuild those uh, countries. American soldiers died uh, by the hundreds of thousands to rid uh, this country of slavery. Sandman says this seems to be for forgotten now. The ground uh, ran red with blood at Gettysburg, Bull Run, and dozens of other battlefields around the nation. He says, I think when people say America was never great, they are confusing greatness with perfection. Actually, I would say most people that are very young, uh, I'm talking about college students today, simply don't have a clue uh, what has been going on in this country, what's been going on around the world, and the wonderful things that Americans, whether they're not necessarily even government, uh, government does a lot of relief work as well, but just everyday Americans, like my friends just got back from Cuba, they paid their way there. They paid for all the expenses and went down there to build a church, uh, building, uh, or start the church building for, uh, a Cuban, uh, congregation down there and help them out. But that literally there are people, uh, on the move every day throughout the world from the United States. So he says, greatness does not demand perfection in any context. Sports teams are great even when they don't win every game. People are great even when they are deeply flawed. Reagan, Kennedy, King, Churchill, great men, all of them, and all were far from perfect. Uh, America w was great, is great, and will continue to be great in 
in spite or despite her flaws. So when you say America was never great, I think you need to examine your definition of great. Now, uh, recently I was, uh, I was, I like to uh, watch sports and uh, I, I played a little sports, coached some sports. And I, I love the whole concept. But uh, this one lady on the United States women's soccer team, she really stole the show, right? And I mean that in a negative sense. Uh, it's interesting in team sports, always played team sports, loved basketball, and, and uh, often we did not have the best individual players when I played my senior year in high school, but we won the, the league. We were first place because I think we played well together. And so team sports, there's a, the, the, the cool thing is, can you play well together? Are you a better team than the other team? And it's unfortunate that one person on the uh, uh, lady name, last name Rapineau uh, used that platform instead of to celebrate uh, all the hard work of those young women and all the years decades that they put in working and striving and perfecting their game instead of celebrating the accomplishment. Uh, and she had to make a big uh, spiel about her life, uh, her homosexuality, her uh, hatred of Trump, and had to make a big political spiel about it and, and just make it a me, 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 me. I think in, it's unfortunate <clears throat> that when I think of my dad's generation, which was the World War II generation, the Great Depression generation, there was never any focus on me. It was always us. What are we doing? What, what, what's up with this country? Today, I don't know whether it's just a millennial thing or whether we've just become so selfish that so many people uh, have got to somehow stand up and have everybody focus on them instead of like focus on what the project is or the purpose. So basically Rapineau, uh, she's marred the experience instead of, if she was an individual competitor in the Olympics, that's one thing, but to, to mar that for the whole team, I thought it was very sad, very selfish. And it shows that there's something really wrong with her. And, uh, that's her problem as they say. So we're going to come right back here in a few minutes. I'm going to play you a clip from uh, Congressman Matt Getz, who, who plays an audio loop uh, right in, in the subcommittee hearing, uh, mocking Democrats who uh, claimed there was no problem on the border, and it mocks one of their own workers, uh, recorded him. Uh, so we'll be right back. Uh, don't go away because I'm not. I'm just going to like take a swig of water and we're going to start again. Be right back. The same old blues again. I got on this morning. There's a telephone ring. Pick a damn thing up. Didn't say a thing. Here's the same old story. How does it end? It's the same old blues. I would invite my Democratic colleagues to go to my official Twitter account where I have posted an interview from January 9th, 2019. It was on CNN, not exactly a hostile network for you folks. And it's, well, let me just play what the question was. And it's Jim Clyburn, 
The Democratic whip answering the question. The president said there's a humanitarian crisis at the border, is there? Absolutely not. The president said there's a humanitarian crisis at the border, is there? Absolutely not. The president said there's a humanitarian crisis at the border, is there? Absolutely not. The president said there's a humanitarian crisis at the border, is there? Absolutely not. The president said there's a humanitarian point of order. Is there? Absolutely not. The president said there's a humanitarian crisis at the border, is there? Absolutely. Just, I guess it's a parliamentary inquiry. Is it appropriate for a member to just put on a loop a teeny soundbite out of context? Is that allowed? Uh, the gentleman controls the time. I'm not aware of any rule that would preclude him from doing so. Okay. Thank you. Gentlemen, this good. Thank you. Uh, I think I still control the time. And I just think that's quite something, that when you're fed back your own words from your own leadership from earlier this year, you think that's out of context and inappropriate and not allowed. Again, we didn't raise the issue. It was the gentlelady from Texas that said, these allegations from Republicans that we were in denial, they're offensive. We've always known of the crisis. And the Democratic whip laughed. Absolutely not. Laughed. Thought it was laughable. Thought it was funny. You know who doesn't think it's funny? The Trump administration, because Secretary McAleenan has been ringing the warning bell for months about the crisis. He begged you all to take action more quickly. One of the reasons why so many young people, so many vulnerable people are in tragic conditions is because we didn't act when the administration wanted us to provide funding that was absolutely necessary to care for people. And so it is appropriate to question why we are in these conditions, but it wasn't the Republicans that were in denial. It was all of you, and it was in your own words from your own leadership. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. The light moonlight comes through my window. But these steel bars spoil the view. No light jailer thinks I'm guilty. Thank you for your patience. Uh, I was talking here as we came into that clip we played about uh, the greatness of America. America is uh, an amazing country. Uh, in, in fact, the uh, the Korean guys, young men, uh, really great guys. We had a great time flying back uh, from Seoul, Korea, where I caught a plane. For, I caught a plane from Vietnam, Saigon, over to Seoul, and then picked up a, a plane there and came on to San Francisco. And so I, you're always flying with a lot of Koreans. They're really proud of their country. They love their country. Uh, they they're always inviting me. Oh, Lou, you need to go. You need to come and spend the night, spend a couple of days in Seoul. It's such a beautiful city. It's modern city. We're doing, we're doing, we're just, they're very proud of their people and, uh, they're just a lovely people. And, uh, so they, they're always interested in what's going on in, in California and what's going on over here. And so I tell them, but, uh, but the fact is Americans are, there's no competition in the, the service that American, uh, people. And again, I say not just government that the, the amount of humanitarian work in dollars is far. It isn't even compare. There's no comparison between the amount of government aid that is usually wasted and the amount of private aid or private uh, money and effort that's spent in foreign countries. But there are no other countries in the world that does it at the level we do it. They, they dabble at it. They dabble at it. Uh, 
but you'll you'll see Americans at, all over the place. So uh, this focus on uh, is, is an agenda uh, to try to just downgrade and get everybody to be down in the mouth, whether it's the politicians. I remember I talked about this before, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House under President, last President Bush, and she just harped on this terrible, terrible, terrible high unemployment rate. I'm ashamed of this president. This president is terrible. It was 5% back then. And so they create a crisis out of nothing. So then everybody's just talking about it and then want to make a change. Same thing that's going on now. It doesn't matter whether every person in America was employed. They'd find something wrong about the employment of that person. It, and uh, so we go from 8, 10, 12, 14% black young unemployment down to like five or six. It's a record. And we, we have record low Asian unemployment, record low Hispanic unemployment, and it's just still a problem. There's a problem with, and so you see these Democrat candidates stand up and say, not everyone is, is benefiting from this, uh, resurgence, right. Of ec- economic, uh, blessing. People just got to complain about something. So I've been writing some in the Territorial Dispatch. You can check that out online at territorialdispatch.biz. Or if you want to see my articles, you can just simply go to nohostagesradio.com. You can see those same articles right there. But I've been writing some about slavery and uh, talking about reparations. You know, reparations means that that uh, it's the same concept. We have a concept here in our law, but it's not used very uh, much, is restitution and reconciliation. Most of our law is just punishment. Somebody steals from me, breaks into my house, vandalizes it. They get caught. They have to do some time. They pay the court fees, and maybe they have to pay some fees to me for restitution, right? Uh, but there probably will never be any reconciliation, right, where, where there's forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. That's that's real justice when there's reconciliation, restitution. So uh, and, uh, a concept connected to restitution is reparations, kind of re- to repair the harm that was done. The problem is, is many of the black people that are here today aren't even black people. They're not even from Africa. Uh, And so and many of the people can't even trace their folks back to slavery. Uh, So the question is, uh, how how do do these reparations things work? And the Democrats really don't get down to what they want to do here. The fact that the Democrats were the one that created the slavery problem. They're the ones that created the Ku Klux Klan. They're the ones that fought civil rights. They didn't want to give civil rights to blacks they the ku klux klan was the terrorist arm was the al-qaeda of the democrat party they created all that now they're wanting to talk like they're the ones that are all concerned about what happened to somebody's great 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 grandma right so michael knowles is a really sharp guy that that has a he's on youtube and i don't know whether he does a podcast or not but you see Ben Shapiro, and then on his his the Daily Caller, I think you see Michael Knowles, K N O W L E S. He's a sharp guy. So he wrote an article. One of America's first slave owners was black. Did you know that? 
you know something? They never taught that in school when I went to school. And, and all I, my impression was United States had slaves. I, I didn't hear about any other country having slaves, just like white people had black people and, and, and abused them. And that was the big gig, right? And then the blacks and, the, and then the liberals came along and said, well, it wasn't us. The fact is it was them. But the fact, the fact, the truth of the matter is that slavery was a part of society uh, worldwide. And that does not justify the U.S. or Britain or any other country having slaves. But it, it makes it a lot more understandable, not palatable, but understandable when you realize that taking human beings, just like is going on right now with human tra- trafficking for, for work and sex— uh, that's going on right now. It's not correct, but it's happening in multiple cultures and countries in the world today. So back in the day, uh, various cultures, religions, particularly Muslims, were slave uh, capturers and owners and sellers. Numbers of countries were involved in this. So Knowles says in this article, which is great, so anyway, b- back to our schooling, our schooling just doesn't teach enough of the details about this so you can get a good perspective on what really was going on. Who had these slaves? Did everyone have slaves? How many did they have? Did every state have slaves? Were they all for it? You know, uh, all we do is t- it, we the liberals use this broad brush to blame all white people, right? So Democrats, he says, Knowles, pressing for reparations have yet to answer the central question. How's it going to work? History raises more questions than answers, he said, on March 8th of either 1654 or 1655. I want you to just think about, were you taught these things in school? On March 8th of either one of those years, 1654 or 55, the African indentured servant, John Casor, C-A-S-O-R, became the first person arbitrarily declared a slave in the United States for life. Isn't that amazing? John Casor, remember his name. You can say, I know the guy that first was held as a slave in the United States. Uh, Casor, though, claimed to have already served his indenture, or in other words, back in the day, you can read it in the Bible. If you get in trouble financially with somebody, you could make yourself that person's slave, or in other words, go to work for them and work off your debt, right? We kind of do that today. You can kind of say, hey, I owed you $1,000, but hey, can I do something for you? Can I paint your house? Can I do this? Can I do that? They don't take possession of us, but it's kind of indentured. You were indentured. So Kesar, John Kesar wanted to uh, argue this. So Kesar claimed to have already served seven or eight years uh, that he promised to serve his master, so to speak. Nevertheless, a Virginia court ruled in favor of Kaser's master. In other words, he's going to have to serve more time. And you know who his master was? The master of the very first black slave that was declared this guy's going to be the possession of somebody else was another black Anglo I, sorry, not Anglo, a black Angola, Angolan, right, from Angola, named Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson was over here as a free man, 
and he got himself a black. In other words, he was black and he got himself a black slave. Knowles says in a little known history, uh, historical irony, the first formally recognized American slave owner was black. So how will the existence of black slave owners affect present day African-American eligibility for reparations? Can Kesor's descendants sue Johnson's descendants? Black sue black. What if somebody somehow descended from both men? How about mixed race Americans? Uh, mixed race Americans, uh, what are you going to do about them? If one descends from both slaves and slave owners, will they pay or collect in reparations? Perhaps the governor, a government will purchase 330 million DNA tests to match against a master database of history's heroes and villains. Let's settle up once and for all. Everybody has to pay or no, some people have to pay, some people are villains, some people are heroes. He said one way or another, the federal government would have to determine the relative historical culpability of its own slave descendants. But who will make the Native American nations pay? What about the Native Americans? Somebody, some people want to give the Native Americans, indigenous people of the United States, a buy on everything. Because they say, hey, they had it first. So, you know, it's kind of like when you play your, your kids and you see something, you go dibs on that. That's mine. I saw it first. So they got here first. They weren't, they didn't come up out of the ground as seed, you know, the Cherokee, the Choctaw, the Creek, and the Chickasaw, and the Seminole. The, they didn't just spring up out of the ground. They immigrated here from elsewhere. Did you know that? So did you know that the these tribes, these tribal people, they had slaves. They owned black slaves. Can we call them red people? Are you going to do that? Or are we going to get racist? Red people own black people. How about that? So should we track down these Chickasaw, Choctaw, Cherokee Creek, and Seminole who all own slaves? And should we make them pay off some of those casino winnings? So as the Emancipation Plot proclamation freed slaves in rebel states so some states were rebel states as early as 1863 and the 13th amendment freed all american slaves in 1865 federal law didn't apply to indian nations right now just like federal uh right now uh right out if you go to the casino they're building out here in south yuba county our state laws and certain federal laws do not apply to those folks they have their own laws Right. So the federal law did not apply to the slave owning Indian folks. They held on to slavery until the U.S. government forced them to free their black slaves in the treaties of 1866. They were the last ones to give up their slaves. So will the federal government force the Cherokee Nation to pay reparations to the descendants of its own black slaves? Now, you probably I'm giving you more information than you were forced to get. Uh, at school. Beyond slavery, the advocates of reparations point to the historical struggles of black Americans about after abolition, after it, as a justification for the redistribution program, uh, you know, redistribution, redistributing re, dis, dis, the wealth of other Americans. So we had lots of stuff. We had pre prejudice. We had lynchings. We had segregation, right? Liberals wanted that. Conservatives did not. 
So but while black Americans suffered uh, oppression in a particularly widespread and sustained way, other demographic groups have also had. What about all the other people? Did you know that I, I didn't know this? But I, I'm fascinated. The largest mass lynching in America was not blacks. There were Italian-Americans, Sicilians. Eleven Sicilian-Americans were hung in New Orleans all at one time. Uh, they, the mayor of New Orleans, his name was Shakespeare, Joseph Shakespeare, described Sicilians as the most idle, vicious, and worthless people among us and urged his constituents to teach these people a lesson that they will never forget. Let's hang a bunch of them. Just like the Romans crucifying people. So are, you know, are the Sicilian immigrants entitled to reparations for their ancestors' suffering? So uh, anyway, uh, what about uh, all of the welfare programs that have been paid out all the years? 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2000, the 2010s, right? 2000, up to 2020. Welfare, 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 welfare. Check, 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 check. Section 8 housing. Free birth of your kids. Free, you don't even have to feed your new babies. We'll do it all, right? Free everything. Free, 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 free. Uh, affirmative actions. You could, be the, you could be the slowest guy on the totem pole, but you get the job because you're color, right? That's reparations, right? We're saying, hey, those people of color... We could even say it for women. Sometimes women get breaks on those deals. Now they got people with different genders. We can't even figure out what gender they are. They're so confused. Sometimes they're trans people. And they're going to they're get affirmative action, right? So uh, the left has been using victimhood as, as, uh, for social currency, right? Why do they do that? Because they love the people. They, they, they're trying to be the the supporters of the downtrodden, not at all. They just want the votes. They want, they want to control the government. That's all it is. They don't care about black people. They don't care about brown people, red people, Chinese people. They don't care about immigrants. All they want to do is control the power and fill their own pockets with money. All you have to look back there is it, it doesn't matter where the government is. It's corrupt. It's, they're cheating. They don't follow their own laws. They're, they're double, triple, quadruple dipping. They, they got the highest salaries in the United States compared to the work, similar work done elsewhere. Uh, they are taking money left and guys go to, he could be a guy, could be a high school wrestling coach and, uh, goes, goes to Congress. He's there 25 years, comes out a multimillionaire. What do high school wrestling coaches get for a living? They don't get jack. Everybody who becomes a multimillionaire goes back there. You know people, when they become politicians, they become wealthy. Very, very, very wealthy. So uh, I'm going to touch on this now uh, because it's, it's on the news. If you, this whole th thing where the Democrats... It's so interesting. The Republicans would never take this kind of tact with the president that they disagreed with. The Republicans really strongly disagreed with Barack Obama. But besides not voting for things that he wanted to vote on, uh, they did not try to stop the government or undermine the government or sabotage the government. 
which has been what's going on from the from be- before Trump actually got the election. And we've spent, somebody told me the other day, they spent $25 million, $25 million in, what, two and a half years? I don't know how many attorneys. Uh, and I'm so sick. I'm just, it makes me sick to my stomach when I hear people just praise Robert Mueller. The guy is a piece of crap. They praise uh, Jim Comey. The guy is a lying piece of crap. They're all in the pocket of, they're not fair, they're not just, they're not law-abiding, they're manipulators. They're no different than that people that are doing time in prison for ripping people off, stealing from people, twisting the truth, lying, cheating. They're just exactly the same. And all this stuff is praising Mueller. He's such a fine man. He's such a fair man. I, God rest his soul. I hope he finds some sort of repentance in his life. He's a totally corrupt individual. And uh, these people, you know what they are? I watch them on YouTube. I said, man, that guy is lying right there. But he is so professional. I mean, you, you know, you know, people are good when they they are like they like I was watching those Google people the other day saying that they had a perfectly bias, uh, unbiased and they're fair to all their customers and they have no idea how, how many people in their um, employment are liberal or whether they tend to liberal. They are so full of crap and they're such they're prolific liars. They're prolific liars. They're not just liars. They are excellent liars. So uh, when we come back, I'm going to uh, I'm going to pl- I'm going to talk about Mueller, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of history on Robert Mueller, and it should be an eye opener for you. And I'm going to play it uh, as a we go to a break here. Uh, Kamala Harris is married. In fact, Kamala Harris is not a black woman her color's kind of black she's kind of mocha right but she's from jamaica she has nothing to do with slavery here in fact she comes from people that actually her people own slaves and she's married to a white jewish guy so hold that thought if you think you're you're voting for the black cause here uh so we're going to hear about where they got their millions of dollars and then we'll we'll be right back all right hang in there Democrats running for president have no shortage of cash. Senator Kamala Harris and her husband top just about all of them. The senator from California and her husband, lawyer Douglas Emhoff, reported about $1.9 million in adjusted gross income last year. Their income more than doubles the next highest earning candidate in the 2020 primary field. So, how did they come by their cash? Harris wasn't always this rich. She made six-figure salaries during her years as attorney general, first for San Francisco and then the state of California. Then, her household income skyrocketed in 2014 when she married Emhoff and they first filed their taxes jointly. They reported 1.2 million bucks in adjusted gross income that year. The couple has stacked up wealth along the way. 
Harris listed assets worth between $2.5 million and $5.8 million on a 2018 Senate financial disclosure form. They also had between $2.8 million and $3.6 million in liabilities. That's tied up in mortgages, home equity lines of credit, and a commercial loan. And Emhoff rakes in millions as an intellectual property lawyer in California. He made a whopping 1.5 million bucks last year alone. More cash is starting to flow into Harris's pocket too. She reported about $157,000 in earnings from the Senate last year. That's a hike from what she made as California Attorney General in 2016. But that's not where she makes her big bucks. Harris reported about $320,000 in net income from her memoir, The Truths We Hold. It was released in January 2019 as Harris geared up for her presidential campaign. Since she won her Senate seat in 2016, Harris has been seen as a strong presidential candidate, but she struggled for a breakthrough into the top tier of the Democratic field. That was until the first 2020 presidential debate, where she confronted former Vice President Biden about his record on race. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Harris isn't the only Democrat at the front of the pack making big money. Senator Elizabeth Warren and her husband Bruce Mann made nearly $850,000 in 2018. Senator Bernie Sanders and his wife Jane made $560,000 in 2018 after raking in more than a million bucks in 2016 and 2017 each. Biden hasn't unveiled his tax returns yet, but he reportedly made millions after leaving the White House in 2017. Still, Harrison Emhoff's 2018 haul is easily the highest of all the candidates who have released their taxes. That could put Harris in an awkward spot as she vies to take on President Donald Trump. There's a lot of talk in this primary about new government benefits, such as student loan cancellation, free college, health care, and more. Do you think that Democrats have a responsibility to explain how they will pay for every proposal they make along those lines? Well, let me tell you something. I, I hear that question, but where was that question when the Republicans and Donald Trump passed a tax bill that benefits the top 1% and the biggest corporations in this country? When we reached out to the Harris campaign, a spokesman said she is committed to lifting up average Americans. He said her agenda is meant to address their needs and improve their lives. Harris opposed the 2017 GOP tax law which cut rates for most Americans, but slashed taxes on the wealthiest. She wants to reverse those cuts and give up to $6,000 a year in tax credits to working and middle-class Americans instead. She also marched with striking McDonald's workers in Las Vegas, who pushed for higher wages and changes to harassment policy. But the fact remains, Harris is still technically a millionaire. And we'll see if that affects her image as a champion for the working class as the 2020 election season unfolds.
this is our third segment, and I want to talk about Robert Mueller. Uh, you may have, I don't have a television. I was overseas, and, and I, I was just hearing it from people texting me about, about it. And uh, I'm kind of just sick of the guy. Uh, I'm, he, he's full of crap. Uh, he's dishonest. Uh, he's a hypocrite. Uh, and uh, he's writing on some kind of laurels from years ago. Uh, you know, if it's interesting. If people spend 20 or 30 years in government, even if they did a lousy job, they get all this credit. Oh, my God. He served the country for 20 or 30 years. Like, yeah. It's like, like, you'd like be, you'd be like, oh, yeah, she's cleaned my house for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, but she never does clean the toilets right. Can't you get it right? It's like, so anyway, uh, the media has to always precede Robert Mueller's name with honorable or a lifelong Republican. I'm thinking that's the problem with our country is that he is, these guys are Republicans. Comey claims, I don't know whether Comey's a Republican, but he is just trash talking. These guys are trash talkers. And uh, so... uh, he hired all I want I want you to think about your life. If someone hired 17 lawyers and spent a couple years and 25 million dollars looking into your life, you think they'd find anything wrong with it? I know they'd find stuff wrong with my life because no one's perfect. And so they are just uh, they when you have 17 experienced, crafty uh, lawyers, uh, you're going to dig up some stuff. And for them not to be able to come up with a lot of stuff on Trump is just amazing. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, 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 don't, I don't mind these investigations, but I think the people, uh, first of all, you're, this isn't a criminal investigation where you're innocent till proven guilty. So they did this investigation of whether there was collusion, right? This was an entirely uh, made up, fabricated fraud from the very beginning. But because we have these Democrats in power and just keep talking, plus the media talking, 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 talking. Finally, Trump said, OK, I have a special counsel and see what you see when you get. Well, after years and twenty five million dollars. It's interesting. 17 lawyers were hired by Mueller's office. Now, you'd think 17 lawyers. Do you think they checked their political persuasion? He claims, oh, my God, that's so offensive. You even brought that up that that I would even know. Now, that's so stupid. I have I've worked in a lot of businesses and I pretty much had uh, had it figured out what people's perspective was in life, uh, their political perspective. I had it figured out just by being around them. I had it figured out. I didn't have to like inquire. I didn't have to look up their voting, uh, their voting record. Uh, but the fact is that, uh, Mueller hired 17 lawyers and he took offense to the fact that 14 of them were registered Democrats. Uh, not one is, not one is a registered Republican. The others are maybe independents or something, something. In total, they've donated $60,000 to Democrats. So basically you had most of these people were hardcore Hillary advocates. 
uh, that were uh, devoted to her during the election. And then he turned around and he's going to investigate a, a, a president and, and try to convince the general public that he is not biased and this is totally a fair and impartial look because uh, he's not there to prosecute somebody. He's not a prosecutor here where you're innocent until proven guilty and he's he's going to come at you. He just he's just trying to get an open investigation of what's going on. So uh, Steve Chabot, who is a congressman, uh, he went and looked up the the political activities of nine of Mueller's staff, the staff attorneys. So Kyle Freeney contributed to both the Obama campaigns and to the Hillary campaign. Andrew Goldstein donated $3,300 to Obama. Elizabeth Prelegar contributed to both Obama and the Clinton campaigns. Jeannie Rhee donated $16,000 to Democrats, contributed $5,400 to the Clinton campaign, and represented Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation in several lawsuits. Andrew Weissman, who's been... Uh, an attorney that has been called on the carpet repeatedly because of his overaggressive uh, stunts contributed 2000 to the democratic national committee, 2300 to Obama, 2300 to Clinton. I don't know how much money you've been donating to these different groups, but if I was getting investigated as a Republican president by all these Democrats, there's not one, uh, pronounce, uh, uh, one declared Republican in the whole group and not one has donated a nickel to the Trump campaign. Isn't that interesting? So the media found nothing unusual about this. Uh, so even deputy attorney member, deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, he assured the public that their views are not in any way a factor in how they conduct themselves in office. Now that, that is a bunch of crap right there because different, uh, ones you remember struck stroke struck and, and Linda page and all the emails saying they were going to take Trump down and th this and that. And Rosenstein said, well, that was their personal views. But then, you know, listen, people, these guys have lost their perspective and they they've lost their unbiased ways. Uh, so there isn't any way that Mr. Mueller is a lifelong Republican. He may be on paper, but that doesn't mean Jack. So uh, let's go on here. Let's look at some of Mueller's history along with the attorney his sidekick Weinstein who are these overly aggressive uh, prosecutors so let's look at some of their previous convictions uh, as for you know this concept of Mueller being honorable so uh, Steve let's talk about two cases uh, Steve Hatfield Hatfield F-I-L-L, -L, and the late Senator Ted Stevens from Alaska. So in 2001, there was a, a prolifer proliferation of anthrax attacks, uh, and the FBI under Director Mueller, uh, his supervision, they spent seven years. I want you to think about this. If you were being pursued by the FBI for seven years, Hatfield, uh, Steve Hatfield was a U.S. Army 
biodefense researcher. That's what he did for a living. Okay? So he studied these chemicals. And they thought Steve Hatfield was the one that was sending these anthrax envelopes to different people in the government. They began uh, looking for evidence on Hatfield. They spent seven years. Now, they just spent three years on Trump, right? $25 million. That's your tax dollars and mine. Year after year, the, the, uh, year after year, they went after Hatfield, who would, turned out to be completely innocent until the real culprit uh, committed suicide. And when the FBI finally figured out maybe he was the guy, they started putting pressure on him and he, and he killed himself. Okay, and Hatfield was off. So uh, Mueller was deeply involved in the investigation. He recruited the lead investigator, which is Weissman. And uh, they went after this Hatfield. Okay, Hatfield, during this investigation, all the, the, the guy was totally innocent the whole time. But he, Mueller assured Attorney General John Ashcroft, who was the, uh, the Attorney General at the time under President uh, Bush, uh, he assured him that they had the right guy and uh, that he was the anthrax mailer. And Deputy uh, Defense Secretary Paul Wolfowitz asked then-Deputy Attorney you know, we have Mueller. Then we have Deputy Attorney General James Comey. Uh, did you know, by the way, that James Comey's daughter is the one that's going to be saddled with going after Mr. Epstein on his sex charges? Just, you know, it's just an incestuous relationship. People just work for the government. Then the next generation works for the government. Next generation. So we got Comey and Mueller working together. And Comey was asked by Paul Wolfowitz if... Comey was really sure that Hatfield wasn't just another Richard Jewell. Now, do you remember Richard Jewell? He was an innocent man uh, a few years earlier who had been publicly identified by the FBI as a main Olympic bomber. Remember down at Atlanta, uh, Atlanta uh, Georgia? Uh, they had a bombing, and they picked up Richard Jewell, and they went after him for a long time before they finally said he didn't do it. So Comey replied that he was absolutely certain that it was Hatfield. The hounding of Steve Hatfield uh, finally ended in 2008 with the Bureau paying Hatfield millions of dollars in damages for harassment when he had absolutely no evidence against him. In open court, federal judge Reggie B. Walton assailed Mueller's FBI for its handling of the case. Far from apologizing, the director, director stoutly defended the Bureau's relentless pursuit of the blameless Hatfield, saying, I do not apologize for any aspect of this investigation. He said it would be incorrect to said that there were any mistakes. These people are so crazy. They are nuts back there. In other words, they could just go after a guy for seven years, not find anything, but justify everything about their, their work. In the private sector, they would be fired. Now, they have been 
the same zealous people going after the stupid Russia investigation, all the while the Clintons have been taking millions of dollars from the Russians and selling them uh, uranium. So uh, here's another one. Eight days before the 2008 election, the government convicted Senator Ted Stevens of Alaska for failing to properly report gifts on his Senate finance forms. He was the longest serving Republican Senate and Senator in history. And uh, so they went after him and they said, this guy was dirty, bad, ugly, and uh, all that kind of stuff. I remember it. I, it's not too long ago, 11 years ago. And so, you know, like a lot of senators, they're taking all kinds of money. They're taking all kinds of gifts, congressmen and senators, right? So he's the longest-serving Republican senator in history. So this is going on, this investigation. And uh, they eventually convicted him right before his re-election, during his re-election campaign, before the actual time to uh, cast the ballot. And he lost by less than 2% of the vote. Months later, too late for Stevens' political career, Obama, uh, Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, moved for a dismissal of all charges against Stevens after discovering that the government had failed to turn over crucial evidence that would exonerate Stevens. Now, if you can get Eric Holder to come on your side, Eric is corrupt as they come. And he's a Democrat, Stevens Republican. The trial, the trial judge not only threw out Mueller's work, but angrily ordered an independent counsel to investigate the investigators. So, unlike the disastrous Hatfield case with the anthrax, the extent of Mueller's oversight of the Stevens investigation is a little less clear, but he was still in charge. The question is, was he aware of the Bureau's malicious pursuit of a sitting senator on the eve of an election? How convenient. So uh, Mueller turned out to be too corrupt even for a corrupt Eric Holder. Eric Holder, by the way, was the only attorney general ever to be held in contempt by the Congress of the United States of America. He's a liar and a cheat, just like the president of the United States was, Obama. So uh, we got a few minutes here. I want to uh, take take a, a little pause. Uh, let me check my little pause and to... Uh, Give a shout out to Elite Universal Security and give you an update. They're going to have some uh, concealed weapons permit training coming up on August 10 and 11. Elite Universal Security here in Yuba County. That's where they do the training. Although they're located up and down the state. They're all all the way up into Oregon now. They're in, in uh, Shasta County, Butte County, Sutter County, Yuba County. Uh, they're looking for people to go to work if you want to be a guard, and they're also looking for uh, they're looking for more work. They're looking for workers, and they're looking for work. And at at this time, when you have thousands, you know, I don't know if you've read anything about this, but 
but the homeless numbers are uh, going up by 50, 50, 60, 70 percent up and down the valley because they're funding it. The government's actually giving money towards it now. So whatever you give money towards, you get more of it, right? It's just like if you tell the farmers, uh, if you if the price on, like I was noticing yesterday driving up the valley, sunflowers are planted everywhere. So somebody is, the price of sunflower oil or sunflower seeds is going up, so they're planting sunflowers everywhere. So if there's money out there for homelessness, that means you're going to get more homeless. So what's happening is, is there's not enough police, and the politicians are telling the police, leave the homeless alone. Just leave them alone. They're just, you know, a meteorite hit them in the head, and so now they're homeless, and so just leave the homeless alone. It's not a crime to be homeless. And so they're leaving them alone. So therefore, you need somebody else to protect your business, to protect your stuff, because people just come and take your stuff. There's all kinds of posts on Facebook all the time, people stealing, 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 taking, come right up on your doorstep, steal, 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 steal. So... Um, Anyway, you can uh, connect with Elite Universal Security. They'll put you to work or they'll go to work for you either way. It doesn't make any difference to them. 530-749-0280. 530-749-0280. So they will train you. Think, I don't know anything about being a guard. I'd kind of like to be, but I, where do you even go get training? They do it. They train you in-house called API Academy. So if you go API hyphen Academy, Google it, you will find them. And there's all kinds of classes you can take. Or if you need to go get a, a, a live scan, you can get one any day of the week. Uh, or if you need even, they do amazing things. They do mobile notary work. So lots of good stuff. Here's, here's current openings, Butte County, Lathrop. Uh, that's down below Sacramento. Sacramento, Butte. Here's another one. Patrol driver, Butte County, Eubin, Sutter County. Armed officer, Butte County, Eubin, Sutter. Part-time officers in all areas. It's busy out there, people, because law enforcement no longer is taking care. you got to take care of your own business. So uh also want to give a shout-out to a, a young lady that started a business here a couple of years ago over in Yuba City. She, her, she is an, uh, a specialist in the horse business and helping people ride and helping people, uh, some of the benefits of riding psychological benefits, physical benefits. She's been specially trained and working with children and worked in horse camps. Her name's Stephanie case camp. And right out here in Yuba city, if you know, we're coming to the end of the summer, but if you wanted to get some riding lessons, your, your child lacks some confidence and, or you just wanted to give them something to do uh, while they're off school. She's specialist in therapeutic riding or just people want to learn how to ride different styles of riding. She's got, got it going on and she's a cool person. I had dinner with her family and her one night and I got to meet her. Her number is 707-350-2999, 707-350-2999. Stephanie Case Camp. And uh, she's got all the certifications, and she is a really quality lady. So go check that out. Uh, we're going to take a break here. And there's been a lot of talk on college campuses about offensive speech. Now they have lists and lists and lists of words that you cannot say anymore on campus because it hurts people's feelings. 
So there's a little clip here I'm going to play for you, then I'm coming right back after I wet my whistle. All right. Who are on the road Must have a code That you can live by And so Become yourself Because the past Is just a goodbye It may come as a shock to you that many colleges and universities are not only limiting free speech by choosing who can speak on campus, but even what students should and should not say. Countless higher ed institutions have adopted inclusive language guides in an effort to create an inclusive community for everyone. Everyone who thinks the same way, that is. One of these schools is my alma mater, Colorado State University. I will forever be proud to be a CSU Ram, but upon reading their version of an inclusive language guide as a student, I was both brought to laughter and appalled at what words and phrases were now considered offensive. For example, the phrase long time no see was now off limits because it was allegedly racist against Asian people. Instead, you were supposed to say, I haven't seen you in a long time. Calling a new student a freshman became offensive overnight because it had the word man in it, thus limiting gender expression. Instead, we were supposed to call new college students first years. No longer can I describe my food coma after each In-N-Out Burger experience. The term food coma supposedly, quote, directly alludes to the stereotype of laziness associated with African Americans, a stereotype I've never heard of. I suppose I'll have to settle for I ate too much. I shouldn't be suggesting that my grandparents park in handicap parking. To say handicap parking minimizes personhood and, quote, implies that people with disabilities are not capable. How dare I call any of this crazy? Using the word crazy implies that people experiencing mental health challenges are somehow not normal. Instead, I should call this speech guide surprising or wild. The words and phrases go on for nearly 10 pages, ranging from common anecdotes to everyday words. But near the top of the list is a single word which is now considered offensive, and it shook me to my core. America. The reason it's offensive? Using the word America to describe the United States poses a risk of potentially alluding that other nations in North and South America are considered lesser than the United States. America. For me, this is the last straw. Uh-oh, dare I mention those plastic monsters. Our nation's colleges and universities have fundamentally transformed from a place of education, exposing yourself to new ideas and challenging your beliefs, to supposed safe spaces which protect students from dangerous words or ideas, ideas like America. Enough is enough. It's time for our higher education institutions to truly educate our nation's young adults and prepare them for the real world. And no inclusive language guide is going to stop us from saying so. Alrighty. Uh, well, I know we have people listening from uh, <clears throat> various states because the nature of podcasts versus radio, local radio. So this may not mean so much to you. We've been fighting in the uh, Yuba County area. There's 58 counties in California, Yuba County being one, one of the poorer counties in a remote area uh, 
well, it's not remote area, but it's uh, less less populated, 75,000 maybe, less than 80,000. Um, so the county uh, decided, the Board of Supervisors, that they wanted to add a 1% sales tax because they saw the money that the city of Marysville, one of the, the county seats, city of Marysville, they raised sales taxes by 1%. So they saw the kind of millions that they were bringing in. And the, and just like the city, the county is going broke because they can't afford to pay the health costs and the uh, pension costs of their workers because they're it's ridiculous. It's like they've, they're overpaid. The workers are paid more than the private sector. You know, when people when I talk like this, I have a lot of friends that, that, that work for government. I'm not saying people shouldn't get paid to work. Uh, if if they if they don't like the pay they're getting for government, or if they're working in the private industry, they can go to another job. I'm just saying that at some point you have to you have to have a day of reckoning with how much money you have, instead of keep just raising the wages, raising the wages, raising the wages. So when you look at what people are getting, I think Pete Daly, who just left Yuba City Fire Department, was making. Up towards $400,000 a year. Do you think that's right for a fire? I know we like firefighters and cops, right? That's, I do. But do do can we afford to pay that kind of money? <clears throat> Would they still do the job if they paid them half that much? I think, they, I think you could find a chief for half that much. So at some point you have to just dial it back and uh, give everybody a financial haircut. You can't just keep paying these these kind of pay, extra payroll costs, it's its bankrupting. The entire country's going bankrupt, particularly in California. So Measure K was passed, at least the county says it was passed, by a majority vote, 50, about 53% of the people said, okay, we'll raise our own taxes. So it bad, this is what's bad about democracy. If I, do, if I get and get enough people to say all... I, I don't have, I am not obese, but if I got enough people to say all the obese people, if I get 51% of the people that say all the obese people have to leave Yuba County, that's democracy. If I can get enough people to say, uh, if you make over $50,000 a year, I'm on, I want to take your car, one of your cars, right? If you get 50% plus one, that's democracy. You can come and take it. That's why our founding fathers hated it. So with Prop 13 and Prop 218 the, passed by the voters, uh, that said, one of the things that said in those two propositions was that if you wanted to raise taxes, whether the state government, the legislative, legislative people wanted to do it, or the citizens, you had to get two-thirds people to agree to it, to raise taxes. Well, people have learned how to get around it. So the first thing to learn how to get around it was they got an agreement that if it's just a general tax at the local level, then, uh, you know, it's the people's going to vote on it. If it's a general tax, this could be used anywhere, then it's 50% plus one gets it. But if you say, I'm going to use it for this, and you set it aside for that, a specific reason, then it takes two-thirds vote. 
Well, that's exactly what they portrayed. The entire campaign was a, a safety campaign, Measure K. And this is California rules. Now, it may be different over there, you guys, in Idaho or Missouri or Oregon, Texas. But these are California rules. And so so the in Measure K, the Yuba County people that promoted this said this is going to go for public safety. And not only that, we're going to set this aside. And there is even going to be an oversight committee to make sure that we did what we're promising you do. It's not going to be a general deal. Now, once this thing passed, although it should have taken two thirds, according to the opposition, they... Uh, they got the, they're starting to, they're collecting the tax, but they can't spend it because there's now a lawsuit filed against the county. And you know what the attorneys are arguing? The attorneys, uh, Michael Colon Tuano and David Rutterman and Connor Harkins with the firm Colin Tuano, Highsmith and Watley from Grass Valley. They are arguing that this never had anything to do with public safety. Not a thing. And that this money could be spent on buying jelly bellies at the uh, jelly bean factory. We could blow it all on that. It does not have to go to public safety or anything particular. And it wasn't advertised that way. And there's no special fund. It's just going to go into the general fund. Now, that is exactly opposite. Now, one of the things I used to have great respect growing up, I just I thought, hey, attorneys, they tell the truth, right? They're all about the truth. I thought, you know something? These people lie. These attorneys lie more often than my friends that I have over there at the Yuba County Jail locked up. They're slicker liars than those people. And so these attorneys come in here and they just swear up and down before Judge Barrier, who acts like he's losing his mind to me. I always had great respect for Judge Steve Barrier. But, you know, we all lose it after a while. Our brain gets soft. Something happens and we just ain't what we used to be. Right. And I don't know whether the fact that he's on the payroll of the government and therefore he's going to make decisions to give the government more money. Maybe he's a socialist. I don't know what he is. But he seemed like he was brain dead in that first hearing. And these guys came in from Grass Valley just talking a bunch of crap. So the Barrier lives here, for goodness sakes. And he saw all the signs, unless he's brain dead. He saw these signs that said it's for public safety. And he saw the letters to the editor from supervisors. And he saw the flyers that went out talking about public safety, public safety, public safety, public safety. And we're going to put it in a special account, special account, special account. And we promise, 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 promise. We're not going to bait and switch you. Why do you, why do politicians have to promise? Because they bait and switch. It's like ASAP guy that cries wolf. People are constantly getting screwed by politicians, including the people in Sacramento, raising the taxes and then say, we're going to raise the taxes and we're going to build more water storage. Then they don't build more water storage. They build more bike trails. We're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna build more roads, and then they turn around and say, "Well, 
uh, we're not going to build roads unless you build some low-income housing. We're going to. I know we we we're taxing you more, and we're taking more money for roads, but we may not give you that money unless you agree to do income low-income housing, socialist housing. So now these guys on I think it's the twenty-sixth of October, sorry, twenty-sixth of August. The next hearing uh, is going to be happening, and it's the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association plus Charlie Matthews. He's a local farmer, and John Missler, he's a local businessman. Uh, they are the plaintiffs, and the defendants are the county of Yuba and the supervisors and the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration because they're the ones got the money. The money has been taken. Now, if you keep track of all the taxes you're paying, if we win this in August or win it whenever, you could you could apply and get a refund from that pot of cash. There's going to be a huge pot of cash. There's going to be millions and millions of dollars. And I'm I'm just amazed. I know they're going to somehow give it to the government. They're just going to give it to the government. It's just this whole thing is a total ripoff. So. Uh, they say that what starts in California is incorporated in other states eventually. And I, I'm sad for that. In fact, uh, these, these Korean MBA students were asking me about California. And I said, I said, people your age are moving out of California as fast as they can, unless they're living in Silicon Valley, unless they got a job down there with Google or something, uh, because they cannot afford to, they cannot afford to live here anymore. And I was telling them how much the housing costs are. They were totally shocked. These kids are sharp, really sharp guys flying over here for a few days of training at Berkeley. But that's what's going on with, with uh, Measure K, just another total ripoff. And uh, the attorneys are just liars. They just come in here. They're hired guns to come in and lie. And the supervisors are the same way. They just are speaking out of both sides of their mouth. And uh, it'd be one thing if they came at you with a straight-up argument and uh, and you said, I agree or I disagree, and we all remain friends and go on. But the fact is they're, they're being deceitful, and that's the worst type of politician you can have. It's one thing to have a straight shooter. He says things ought to be red. I'd say things ought to be green. And... Uh, we see who's going to have the most clout, and then we <clears throat> move on. <coughs> so it's a pretty sad situation, but that's what's going on, and it's going to be so fascinating because if Yupa County ends up losing, this could be kind of a test case because hundreds of cities, counties, even the state, various jurisdictions like districts, are going out and going for these taxes because they can. And the fact is they don't have any control. Uh, they don't have much control uh, over the unions. They're kind of held by the short hairs with the unions on, on the government employees. One thing politicians can do is just say, we're going to start subcontracting out large portions of government and lay off these government workers, because when you hire the private sector, they do not have to pay these high wages and high pensions. They can get the job done faster. 
and more cheaply than government. That's just the way that is. So, uh, all right. So that's Major K, August 26th. And uh, I'm sure you'll hear more about it. We'll probably figure out what courtroom it's going to be in and all that kind of stuff. If you want, you can go actually go listen to it, listen to the arguments and uh, check it out. So, okay, we'll get right back over here. Where are we here? All right. Uh, oh, let me just mention, since we're, uh, we've got a few minutes here. When I, sometimes when I leave for a week or two, Dave Greenitz with uh, Greenitz Construction, he called me and said, hey, you need anything fixed over there at the house? While you're gone, I'll come and do it. So I needed some new wall sockets put in. And uh, this room we set up as a podcast room, I, I uh, had it a storage room for a while for trauma intervention. And then we, uh, I just needed to, I needed a downstairs room to keep a cooler for the computer equipment. So he said, well, Lou, let's put a fan in there. So I said, we'll put a fan in here. So I got home in the middle of the night last night, came in, boom, beautiful fan. Everything's nice and clean, beautiful fan up there. Nice and right. Like, I don't think you can hear. I had a fan running the other day cause it was hot down here and you could hear it through the microphone, but this is a quiet fan. And I'm sitting here. I'm nice and cool. It's supposed to be really like over 90 degrees today. But I got the light on, fan on. I got the computers on. We're happening. And uh, so Dave helped me out, and it's awesome. So if, you, uh, if, you, if you're new to this podcast and you're living up here in Northern California, Dave Greenitz is the guy to check with if you want to like Maybe, you know, you you know, bathrooms and kitchens just get worn out, right? Lots of, they, first of all, you gotta, you're constantly getting cleaned. There's a lot of moisture in the bathrooms. You got sink, you got kitchens, you got dishwashers, you got all kinds of stuff. Things get, it's just heavily used. There's lots of people moving through those areas. And so uh, it, it's nice to up upgrade them and the products that are available today are so much more amazing the countertops and the flooring and the lighting it's like amazing so uh you don't even have to like do a used to back in the old days you'd look up somebody's number you don't even know them you call them you don't have any record of their work you maybe you're new to town now you can just go on facebook and websites and you can check out people totally. And so uh, one thing I know about Greenwich, because I know of his work, and I'm a friend of his, uh, I know they don't pick out shots of kitchens off Pinterest or Facebook or something or decks or bathrooms and put them on their website. These are like before and after shots of their own work. So you can go on and without even talking to Dave, and you can snoop around like it's like going of a walkthrough on a house with the, the owner not there. And so if you go to Greenitz Construction, that's green with E-T-Z on the end, greenitzconstruction.com, you can go there, or you can go to his Facebook site, site Dave Greenitz Construction, and you could sit, you could check out, and you can actually look at a lot of the subs that he you usually lists, the subcontractors he uses, and you can go check those people out as well. I know a lot of them. They're, like, amazing. So uh, his number, his phone number is 530-682-9602. But I know some of you younger ones, uh, you can't really talk to people. 
You can text them good or you can email them, uh, but you're really poor in your communication skills. So uh, you're intimidated a lot. You can't really, you get your lip quivers and you start to sweat and you get a panic attack when you have to actually have a conversation. So uh, on the website, uh, greenitsconstruction.com, you can actually, once you decide you want to communicate with Dave, you can actually fill in a little blank, couple blanks there, very simple, and, and hit send, and it sends him an email saying, hey, I'm checking you out, right? So the other thing, like nowadays up here, PG&E just got a letter from PG&E, said we're going broke, right? The the It's interesting, the guys over at Yuba Water, used to be Yuba Water Agency, they talk how back in the days when they built Bolo's Bar Dam back in the 50s that it, it was no risk at all for the residents of Yuba County because PG&E was going to pay for all the bonds to be paid off. I think, oh, yeah, no risk. PG&E, this is the second time they've gone bankrupt since the 1950s, and this time it's serious bankruptcy. I mean, people are like the dogs are coming in wanting the bones, and uh, it's very serious bankruptcy. And I thought, boy, it, people that tell you like, oh, there's no risk, oh, we got this, I'm telling you, man, there's risk everywhere. And so uh, anyhow, uh that's just what's shaking with these guys, and uh, we'll we'll see how it all shakes down. But uh, anyway, back to Greenitz. Uh, if you want to check out Dave, oh, I, the reason I got onto that was to tell you that one of the things that he told me is what a, a great deal is he he puts in these whole house fans. He does the amazing remodels, but he also puts in the whole house fans which on a day like today, when the utility rates are like 60% higher for PG&E than, than they used to be, than, than comparable to other states, nowadays, if you put in a whole house fan, it'll suck the hot air out and bring the cool air in from the outside when it's the differentials there, right? Take the hot air out, bring the cool air in. And uh, so you can get that in, and, and it keeps your utility bills low because when you turn on, if you have central air, man, we all... I don't know, would you ever turn on central air and go out and look at your meter and watch that disc fly around? It's like crazy, man. It's like crazy. So uh, you can you can lower that by putting in a whole house fan, and they're not that expensive. So uh, give Dave a call, and uh, he'll take care of you. And, and uh, you know what I like about Dave is, you know, this term, I don't know where the term came from, independent contractor. I don't know why they have to put that in there. But I think sometimes for a lot of contractors, the reason they're independent is they never show up when they, when you tell them, when they tell you, you know, they're going to come back nine o'clock Monday morning, nine o'clock Tuesday morning, nine o'clock Thursday morning. And you wait, you arrange your schedule to meet them. You stay home from work a little bit to meet them for a walkthrough or whatever, whatever. And they don't show up. Crazy. Or they tell you they're going to fix something for a certain amount of money and they don't do it. Or they send you a, a bill for something extra. They say, oh, well, we, you know, something, we ran into something or we had a change. So anyway, Dave's not that way. And uh, he's been in business here in the Yuba Sutter area for, I think, 40-some years probably. Guy's getting ready to retire one of these days. Told me the other day he's going to look at a retirement plan. I thought, what are you going to do then? So anyway, uh, check him out. 
All right, we're going to take a break here, and I got a uh, clip. You should love this because, in fact, I'm going to probably talk about this in a minute. Well, no, I won't. No, I won't. I'm going to talk about something else. But this is uh, this is about, you know, we, we got this Epstein thing now, and you think, how did how did he do all that, all that nasty stuff Jeffrey Epstein did with these young girls, little children? And nobody had the cojones or the Spaldings to call him out on it. In fact, here's a weird thing. Hillary Clinton actually made numbers of trips down to this sex island. Who would want to have sex with Hillary Clinton anyway? Man, terrible. Had to throw a sack over her head or something. Anyway, uh, this is uh, Mark Stein's comments on the dim Democrats all knew what Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton was doing to those women. So we're going to do that and then we're going to be right back. Okay. I've seen my light come shining From the west down to the east The, the Democrats uh, are like this on everything. You know, they didn't care. They weren't worried about the Russians during the Cold War. 25 years after it ends, they're worried about the Russians. They weren't worried about Bill Clinton's behavior when he was in the White House. 25 years later, uh, the senators are now saying, oh, yes, he should have resigned over Monica Lewinsky. The New York Times uh, ran a piece a couple of days ago called I Believe Juanita. Well, you know, I, I wrote my I Believe Juanita piece. Uh, in, I'm, I'm going to remember the exact date, February 25th, 1999, in the National Post of Canada. So I was, I was right 18 and a half years ago when it mattered. And as Tammy said, uh, they all knew uh, that uh, what Bill Clinton was doing, and it didn't matter. They trashed those women. There were all kinds of women. He liked all kinds of women. He liked young women, old women, svelte women, full-figured women, all kinds of women. And no matter what, he liked um, upper-middle-class women. He liked women from trailer park. He liked women generally. And no matter what kind of woman he trashed, uh, the Democrats piled on in destroying all those women. The investigative journalist behind Clinton Cash is now on the Obama money trail. Peter Schweitzer has uncovered evidence that President Obama used his executive powers to regulate industries. We knew that part, but also then to lower the value of certain companies as a result, then a firm owned by two close family friends swooping in and buying stakes at a discount. The book found a pattern of investments in coal, offshore mining, for-profit universities that closely tracked the Obama administration regulatory policy changes. And among the beneficiaries, billionaire activists Tom Steyer and George Soros. Now, those are names we've all heard, heard of. Peter Schweitzer uh, joins us tonight. And uh, again, it's great to see you. Congratulations you. on the book. Thanks. The Lord. new book is out. It is called Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. And it is, my friend, good to see you. It's great to see you. And, and it is, it's, it, it's an exciting book. It's exciting to see the revelations that, that, that fall out of the book page by page. Uh, the secret empires, smash and grab, uh, the, the people who are benefiting from it under the, uh, the Obama uh, passivity uh, some eight years in duration. 
yeah. amazing stories. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's the new wave of corruption in Washington, D.C. I mean, we all remember Congressman Jefferson, who had the $90,000 cash stashed in his freezer. That's old school. That's old school. You know, that's that's chump change. We're talking about, in, in some cases, billion-dollar deals involving close friends of politicians like Barack Obama or family members like Joe Biden's son, who are getting these major deals. Smash and grab a perfect example. Barack Obama's best friend, a guy named Marty Nesbitt, a lot of people mm -hmm. haven't heard of him, right. sets up a private equity fund while his friend is the regulator in chief. And what he does is he invests in what he calls, quote, highly regulated industries. Well, one of the ways Which is counterintuitive. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's who, who invests in highly regulated? Unless your best friend happens to be the regulator in exactly. chief. And so to give you one brief example, University of Phoenix, the for-profit school, uh, Barack Obama's administration says, we think this school is bad. We're going to suspend the Pentagon from using GI Bill money for soldiers to go to school there. Well, of course, the stock price goes from $100 a share to about $3 a share. Guess who steps in to buy it? Barack Obama's best friend, Marty Nesbitt, and his company, Vistria Investors. They come in, they buy it for pennies on the dollar. And then lo and behold, the Obama administration says, you know what? We think we're going to let GI money flow again back to the University of Phoenix. And that pattern is repeated over and over again in other sectors of the economy. It was rampant. And that's one form, smash and grab. Right. I, and to see that pattern emerge here. You know, while I think many people were averting their eyes in the national left wing media, imagine that. Uh, but the idea that the Biden uh, and Kerry uh, sons and stepson could come together to make money uh, off uh, the dad's, uh, uh, what would we call it, his business? Think about this, Lou, for a second. So you've got Vice President Biden, Secretary of State John Kerry from 2013 to 2016 negotiating with China on the South China Sea, on trade issues, on national security, on North Korea. And at this time, the sons, or in one case, John Kerry's close aide, are involved in businesses that involve multi-billion dollar deals with the Chinese government, not Chinese companies, the Chinese government. One very extreme example, 2013, Joe Biden flies over on Air Force Two to Beijing, China. Who's on the plane with it? His son, Hunter Biden, who, by the way, has no background in private equity. Joe Biden goes there, negotiates with the Chinese, widespread criticism. He's soft on Beijing. Ten days later, his son, Hunter, scores a $1.5 billion, with a B, private equity deal from the Chinese government. Okay. This is American princelings, and there are multiple examples in the book. And, and the idea that you, the South China Sea, as China's building out all of those artificial islands, uh, they continue unconstrained, uninterrupted by the Obama administration. It's not until President Trump takes office that suddenly our destroyers and we're doing overflights to stop, try to stop, uh, the further construction of those islands, it's, it's appalling. Yeah, I mean, it's selling out the national, I mean, that is what they're doing. It's shocking. And, and specifically to that point, Lou, there's a major real estate transaction involving a company called Rosemont Realty that involves Chris Hines, that is John Kerry's stepson, right. Hunter Biden, and a close Kerry aide named Devin Archer. Rosemont Realty does a major deal with a Chinese government company that is controlled by what is called the fifth arm of the Chinese Navy. So you have a military-related company buying into a company that is owned by these decision-makers in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's just outrageous. And, of course, we're watching the Chinese try to buy up what they can of Silicon Valley, wherever yep. Silicon Valley extends.
Uh, the level of corruption is, is horrific. Uh, it's outlined in the new book, Sweet Secret Empires. Uh, Peter Schweitzer, uh, we highly recommend the book, Secret Empires. And and thank you for doing everything you do. I appreciate I mean, it. Thank you, Lou. Uh, I don't know where we'd be without uh, your investigations and your uh, and your terrific writing. So thank you, sir. Well, thanks for your support over the years, Lou. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. I have been so fascinated by this <clears throat> green energy thing. Uh, I was coming back from the San Francisco airport yesterday. So it wasn't a fast trip because I was coming right at rush hour, five o'clock, six o'clock, coming through right through the center of San Francisco and up 101. And I was driving, uh, working my way 101 and 80 and then 505 and back up into Yuba County and there's one spot there when you look off to the right I think it's probably Altamont Pass but there's just a jillion bird blenders or windmills out there and every time I look at them I think that's our tax money being wasted because it's like most things that you get in a country when you take government out of it, if somebody's selling food or fixing motorcycles or bicycles or pouring concrete, putting in windows, selling clothing, whatever, their investments plus their expenses to create that product, uh, employees and all that, go into the cost of the product. and And if they... At the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of the month, they need to be in the black. They need to make a profit. And if they don't make a profit, they go out of business. In fact, I was listening to a guy in KNBR the other day. He was talking. He was a sports talk guy. And he was talking about he was raising Santa Rosa. And he was talking about the number of businesses, restaurants he was specifically talking about, that went out of business. In other words, they were they he ate there and ate there for a while. And then a year or two later, they were gone. And so that means that they just weren't getting enough business or they didn't know how to run their business or they just couldn't keep their costs down because they were running in the red. That means your costs are exceeding your uh, your income. And uh, so the fact is that wind or solar, there is no way that once you go out and purchase those massive creatures, those solar uh, the uh, on wind the massive windmills or the solar when you put all the investment in it it does not produce enough electricity consistently enough in fact if it if it's a cloudy day no solar if it's a if it's a still day there is no there is no uh power from wind right so uh it's a total loser it's a complete loser. The only way that they can even fund those things is the government gives our tax dollars. You, you are buying electricity and you even some buying some solar panels. 
you're doing that, plus you're also giving the government money to give to those people to make it work. You are not doing the same thing with fossil fuels. You are not supporting the coal industry, and you're not supporting the oil industry, supplementing their costs for research and development and stuff. They're making a profit, or they're not drilling. But because the government's stepping in, it's socialism. When the government steps in and says, this is the way things are going to be, then prop, the profit thing is gone. And there's no concern about keeping costs down or the bottom line. Now, the, there's a Manhattan Institute, which is a think tank. <clears throat> the Manhattan Institute had been researching this, and a new paper was written by a guy named Mark Mills. Uh, he's a part of the Northwestern University McCormick School of Engineering and Applied Science. The guy is a bright guy. And he wrote a, an article called The New Energy Economy. That means solar and wind. The New Energy Economy and ex Exercise in Magical Thinking. In other words... It's not realistic. It's not practical. It's a loser deal to expect that solar or batteries or somehow are going to keep or wind power is going to get this thing done. So let me just give you the figures because you think, well, you know, it, it's got to be right. They're putting up these bajillion dollars worth of windmills all over the United States. It's got to be right. Well, it isn't. So he, he makes a very simple article argument for the simple-minded which would be me so he says solar technologies technologies have improved very very greatly over the last 10 or 20 years and will continue to become cheaper and more efficient but big but the era of tenfold gains remember we went from zero we didn't have any solar to then he created these panels and all that and so they came up with new engineering, right? The era of tenfold gains is over, he said. The physics boundary for silicon photovoltaic cells or solar is limited by what we call the Shockley-Queezer limit, which means that there's, a, there's a maximum conversion rate from photons from the sun to electrons to then make electricity, the conversion of 34% of photons into electrons. He said, but the best commercial uh, PV or photovoltaic technology today exceeds just 26%. So maybe they got 8% to go, then they're finished. He said... The gains in the future are going to be very minimal because we have physical, we have physics rules, just like gravity, that are working against us. Then he says wind power. Wind power technology, he says, has improved greatly over the years. But here, too, no tenfold gains are left to be had because there's physics boundaries for wind turbines. And that's called the BETS, B-E-T-Z, limit. And so that means the BETS limit means that there's a maximum capture of 60% of kinetic energy in moving air. That's it. You can't get higher than 60%. And he said commercial 
turbines today exceed 40%. So it's getting pretty close to maximizing out, and they're, they're not making any money. The only money they make is money given to them by the government. You get it? That's why Obama says utility rates are going to go way up. PG&E rates have gone way up. Stephen Chu with the EPA, I mean, sorry, the Energy Commission, uh, Department of Energy, says gas prices need to get up to $9 a gallon to make uh, force people to go use electric cars. And uh, so I was, uh, after I got my car yesterday, I was thought I'd top off the uh, the tank before I got into traffic, got stuck and run out of, run short of fuel. So the gas was a dollar more expensive in San Francisco than here. I paid almost $5 a gallon down in the center of uh, South San Francisco. So these raising of utility costs and gasoline costs are artificial raises. It's not based on supply and demand. It's based on the government restricting the supply, saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to we're not going to develop any more wells in California. We don't want to have any more natural gas in California. We don't want this. We don't want to pipe it in. We don't want to ship it in. We 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 will import gas, but we're not going to deal. So it's an artificial restriction on the supply. So uh, the third thing is. People say, I saw this incredible, it's such a great photo. Electric cars parked on the curb, and it it has run out of juice, and it's at a place where it can't plug itself in. It's on a curb. It's like you run out of gas in the middle of a field, right? Uh, So you have to go get a gas can, go fill it up, and haul the gas out there. So what they did is they called like a AAA service or something. So we have a gas-powered vehicle pulls up towing a generator that then is plugged into the car and and creates this uh creates the electricity for the car to get bolstered back up so it can get on its way right so the batteries are made with the use of fossil fuel the car fossil fuel driven car is made by fossil fuels right the generators made by fossil fuels, right? So this guy, Mark Mills, with the Manhattan Institute, says the annual output of Tesla's Giga Factory, the world's largest battery factory, could store how much you think of the world's, uh, not the world's, but the U.S. electricity demand could it store in it in its maximum amount of batteries created on earth right now the world's largest battery factory could store three minutes three minutes worth of annual u.s electricity demand that's all it can store that's all the batteries they got and so here's these are great physics you don't have to be a physics student to figure this out Mark Mills says it would require 1,000 years of production to make enough batteries for two days worth of U.S. electricity. And you're told by the media all the time, oh, green, man, we got it. We got this. Oh, we just need to quit pumping the fossil fuels. 
He says it will take a thousand years of production to make enough batteries for two days worth of U.S. electricity demand. We're pulling a lot of electricity in this place. Meanwhile, 50 to 100 pounds of material are mined, moved, and processed for every pound of battery. These people say, oh, it's, it's all a shell game. It's a fraud. It's a mirage. It's a hustle. It's a hoax. Get it. 50 to 100 pounds of materials are mined, moved, and processed for every pound of battery. You say, oh, what, oh, people just think Walmart or Walgreens collects or buys batteries and they come out of thin air. 50 to 100 pounds of materials are mined, moved, and processed for every pound of battery pack produced. So when every time, if you, if you have a battery in your car, What's that, about five pounds, eight pounds? That means about 800 pounds of an eight, let's say the battery's eight pounds in your car, just a normal car battery, not one of these electric cars. The only people who can afford electric cars are rich people. Think about that, who get all the tax credits. Nobody wants them. So it's, Essentially, 800 pounds of material are mined, moved, and processed for every pound of battery produced. So 800 pounds for an 8-pound battery, right, in the front of your car. That's why he writes this article, why wind and why solar will never, ever work. Never, ever work. It just ain't going to work. Just the way that's the way. Oh, that it's just not going to work. So uh, this is another thing. I, I love these articles where the guys really, guys or gals really speak clearly. He says, all lies about global warming debunked in one article. Everything you've been told about global warming, climate change, and carbon dioxide by the mainstream media and mainstream science is an outright lie. Far from being a dangerous poison, carbon dioxide is a miraculous, life-giving nutrient that plants need to survive. Now, this is so cool. I love science when it's explained this way. It says the truth about carbon dioxide. Remember this? You learned it in school when you were a little kid. Plants, they eat up the carbon dioxide and they're clapping and cheering. And you are breathing in the oxygen and you are clapping and cheering if you're healthy. So this guy says CO2 or carbon dioxide is not and has never been a poison. Each of our exhalations, in other words, you exhale, exhale carbon dioxide, each of our breaths emits an astronomical quantity of CO2 proportionate to that in the atmosphere. <clears throat> and it is very clear that, that the air we expire does not kill anyone standing in front of us. Now, your breath may kill somebody. Your stinky breath may kill somebody or make them run off and say, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. Uh if CO2 was so bad and you were in a closed space, even though you weren't going to get poisoned by it, but a lot of people are blowing, you know, breathing hard, you'd think you'd get poisoned by it, right? 
What must be understood, he says, is that CO2 is the elementary food of the plants. I knew that. I think I learned that in kindergarten or something. Without CO2, there would be no plants. And without plants, there would be no oxygen and therefore no you. The equation is just as simple as that. Now, you'd think Al Gore. See, all these people, whether it's Tom Steyer, uh, the guy that's saying he's Mr. Green right now, or Al Gore or all the they're all making millions and millions of dollars on this whole green thing. So this guy says very simply, plants need CO2, carbon dioxide. They need water and they need daylight. These are the mechanisms of photosynthesis to generate the sugars that will provide them with staple food and, bu and building blocks. That's inside the plant. The fundamental fact of botany is one of the primary reasons why anyone who is sincerely committed to the preservation of the natural world should abstain from criticizing carbon dioxide. It's a good thing. We, want, we should want more of it. He says over the last 30 years, there has been a gradual increase in the carbon dioxide level. Hallelujah. Bring it on. But what is also observed is that despite deforestation, the planet's vegetation level has grown by about 20%. This expansion of vegetation on the planet, uh, nature lovers largely owe it to the increase in the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. And I always tell my friends, young friends, oh, we're tearing down all the forests. I said, maybe, maybe not. But I says, see all these millions of trees on each side of the road here that are food-bearing food trees, nut trees, fruit trees? I said, none of those were here back in the day before settlement, and all you had was a bunch of brush around here. But those trees are doing more for carbon, uh, taking in carbon dioxide and kicking out oxygen than any of the old trash plants around here. So... This guy makes one uh, huge comment after another about the truth about the greenhouse effect, right? Did you think we're like something's going to melt down? It's, you're going to be sitting at Starbucks one day or some coffee shop, and all of a sudden you think it's happening, right? There's just too much carbon dioxide out there. So this guy who's a scientist says CO2 is a minor gas. Today it represents over four one-hundredths of one percent of the composition of the air. And its greenhouse effect is attributed the value of one. Not a hundred, one. It's, it's not true that CO2 creates a greenhouse effect. Said the major greenhouse gas in the atmosphere is... Do you know what that is? Da, 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 da. You know what the major greenhouse gas in the atmosphere is? It's called water vapor, which is 10 times more potent than CO2 in its greenhouse effect. Water vapor is present in a proportion of 2% in the atmosphere. You ever seen rainbows? That's water particles up there, right? And the sun blowing through it. Said so these facts are in principle taught at school and at university, but one still manages to incriminate CO2 alongside this learning in using a dirty trick 
that presents the warming effect of CO2 as minor but exacerbates of exacerbated through feedback loops. It just another. I won't get into weeds on this. It's just a bunch of baloney. Uh, he says, I believe in science. I mean that I believe in the possibility of objectively knowing reality through science. I believe that there are truths and falsehood that science allows us to distinguish between the two. And we need to figure out what's false in the green deal. Everybody wants to have a clean environment. So we shouldn't pollute, right? But CO2 is not a pollutant. It's it, We need it. So he says, a theory of, anth you've heard this, anthropogenic warming. He said, the theory of that claims to be scientific. But if people accept this theory, if they hold it to be true, it is clearly not out of the interest of science. Such a fragile theory in view of the CO2 facts have been pressured, presented to you above and could never have been accepted by people who truly care about science, who, who possess a deep understanding of the field. All right, we're finished here with uh, our next session. And uh, we got Terrence Williams talking about send those ladies back. So just hold that thought. We'll be right back. <laughs> So people at the Trump rally were screaming, send her back. And I don't find that to be racist. If you don't like this country, take your butt back home. Bye-bye. We don't want you here. Don't let the doorknob hit you on your way out. And you can't denounce Al-Qaeda? Then you need to take your butt back home. She didn't even want to denounce and condemn Al-Qaeda. Bye-bye. Get up out of here. You don't need to be in this country if you can't respect America. Bye. Okay, if you will take down the flag and spit on it, get your butt up out this country. I don't care where you from. Donald Trump don't care if you black, white, Puerto Rican. He don't care if you purple, brown, green. If you don't respect America, if you don't like it here, then get out the country. Go find another country. Go find another home and be happy. Don't don't be here disrespecting this country. And I don't care where you're from. I don't care if you are from France. If you are from France and you don't like this country, then we we your butt back home. I don't care if you're from Pakistan. If you don't like this country and you're from Pakistan, pack your bags and stand your butt up out this country, okay? I don't care where you are from. I don't care if you're black, white, purple, orange. Get to stepping. We don't want you here. Go find a happy home. But don't be here disrespecting the president and disrespecting this country and spitting on the flag, taking down the flag. You... All right, we are going to wrap up our last 20-minute uh, segment. I want to talk about uh, 
Michelle Malkin's article, uh, and I've been aware of this for some time, uh, actually many years before the uh, immigration thing got so out of hand, and that was that churches are making money off the illegal immigrant thing, and they have been used to help settle refugees and work with uh, these resettlement or sponsoring people coming into this country. And it's become a real cash cow for uh, for churches. And so some of them have actually got into the advocacy uh, realm where they they want to have no borders, zero borders. And they just think, hey, we're just, it's all God's earth, and it doesn't really make any difference who's living every, anywhere, getting what benefits, paying taxes or no taxes, or whatever, whatever, whatever. That's irresponsible, right? It's kind of like saying, uh, like, you have a family, and in your family you have a house, and you have locks on the doors, and you have a little economy in your house, and you have a budget, and you, or you have money coming in, money going out. And so you don't stop and take all that money every time you make it and try to do your best to feed 7 billion people in the world. You take care of what your people are. If you want to give to charity, you do that. But you don't, you don't just, it isn't just like everybody's welcome at the house all day to, and you feed everybody. You can't do that, right? You take care of your own. So... This, uh, it's, it's a fantasy, it's a deception, and what's happening is she focuses on the Lutherans, but there's Catholics and Lutherans that are literally cashing in. They're getting paid millions of dollars a year by the federal government to do tasks that the government cannot do. So one of the top promoters of what we call... Uh, of the so-called Lights for Liberty nationwide protest. In fact, we just had one the other day here before I left for Vietnam, and they, they claimed the Lights for Liberty are these anti-Trump people. They had it down, down by the uh, ICE detention center at the Yuba County Courthouse. They said they had over 400 people there. Well, I could observe that they didn't have 400 people there. I drove by. The Appeal Democrat the other day I saw, they said they had a little over 100. It had nothing really to do with with the poor treatment of prisoners inside. They just simply wanted to say that this is these are like internment camps or concentration camps holding these people against their will. The fact is no one in these detention centers is being held against their will as long as they'll go back to the country of their choice. They're, they don't want the government— and I've, I've seen it because I go in there, I'm in there every week. And so people decide, I want to go back to Shanghai, I want to go back to Honduras, I, I, I don't want to be locked up anymore, even though I thought I was going to get to stay here. I, I don't want to wait any longer, I want to go home. So they, they put them on a bus, they put them on a plane, they put them on a train, they get them home. And so they're not being held against their will. What these government people want, lights for liberty people, they don't want any borders, and if people can get in here, they, they, unless they commit a violent crime or some crime, they shouldn't be held. So let me go on and say the lights for liberty nationwide protests, they're Trump haters. They're ice bashers. Uh, and uh, 
These guys are a nonprofit religious organization, and they're they're noted, notated or known as a Lutheran Im- Immigration and Refugee Service, or LIRS, L-I-R-S, L- Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. And they are a designated host organization, and they play a key role in publicizing, organizing, and participating in demonstrations against Donald Trump. Why? Do you think they love these people? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the fact is that they're just getting lots of money and churches need money to exist, right? And uh, Lear's, the Lutheran group, they hate cops, Border Patrol, and ICE agents. Uh, they, they hate them. So Lear's sounds just like a kind of extremist groups. You'd expect to be found uh, kept afloat by billionaire George Soros, big bucks, because that's who's funding him. That's giving him a lot of money besides the U.S. government. So uh, in 2016, Lears, the Lutheran group, relied on $64.7 million in government subsidies from taxpayers. And it funded 96.2% of their budget, the Lutheran group, right? Resettlement, that's a resettlement group. That's a pretty good bunch of cash. I don't know of any churches up and down California that makes that kind of money, $64.7 in one year. Lear's is one of nine agencies that receives tens of millions of dollars to resettle refugees from around the world. They brag that it is a vital aim of the United States Refugee Emissions Program that has worked with the State Department to import over 500,000 refugees to our country. One of Lear's most famous clients. You want to guess? I don't know whether Lears brought in the uh, Al-Qaeda guys that flew into the Twin Towers, but one person they brought is Somalia-born Minnesota Democrat Ilhan Omar, whose immigration, marriage, and tax fraud problems now are rampant. Did you know that they think that she may have married her brother just to get you know, get, get her immigration thing squared away? She married her brother, supposedly. And she'd been caught doing tax fraud. She claimed she was married at one point when she wasn't. She had divorced her husband, was living with another guy. Thought, oh, what the heck, we just claim we're married. If only a fraction of Lear's clients share Omar's contempt for our society. She hates America. She hates Israel. It's interesting when people come to this country and then they hate it. But they want all the benefits and all the money, but they just, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hope you die. They can, they have a contempt for our security and self-governance. They don't want us to, they don't want to be responsible for themselves. They want to be taken care of from the government. So you can see the difficulty we're all in here. The nine settlement grant giants that together rake in over a billion dollars a year. Nine settlement giants. Big old dudes. The Lutheran nonprofit is one of two specially designated groups. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is the other. 
contracted by the government to provide social services and benefits, psychoeducational support and low cost or pro bono, not sunny bono like my Mexican buddies think. It's pro bono, not sunny. Pro bono immigration legal assistance to sponsor families hosting illegal immigrant children. Now, where are those illegal immigrant children? Those are children that are thrust across the border that the compassionate Americans will not allow to just run around in the middle of the night. They put them in a, a holding facility, and then they release them to somebody who will take care of them in the meantime before they sort out all their court stuff. So, Disguised as Malkin says, it's disguised. This operation is disguised as compassion and Christian morality. The Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services activism is a profit-seeking machine. Even as the agency has been plagued by allegations of mismanagement, prompting an external probe two years ago. Last week, the group unveiled yet another initiative, the United Sanctuaries of America. Just disgusting. So here are some of the churches that are affiliated with these groups. The New Sanctuary Coalition, Hispanic Heritage Foundation, League of United Latin American Citizens, Washington Office of Latin America, Mary's, Mary's Center and Hispanic Federation, Gethsemane Lutheran Church, Good Shepherd Lutheran, Church of Reformation, Christ Lutheran, Christ the Savior, Christ the Servant Lutheran, our Savior Lutheran. They have hit a gold vein of taxpayer dollars is what they've done. The exit question, will a single American elected official please stand up and challenge a continued public funding of this subversive group? We give so much money to various groups for various reasons that doesn't have anything to do with America. We give we give a fantastic what three or four hundred let's see what I'll get it here in a minute. I'm gonna look up one other thing if I can find it. We give a fantastic number of dollars to Planned Parenthood, right? Who kills nearly four hundred kids a year. We kind of just skim over these statistics and don't really have an it doesn't have an impact on us. <clears throat> but uh Donald Trump gave, made a, tried to make a deal with Planned Parenthood and says, you know, he said, you keep saying that, plan, that abortion is such a small, small amount of your practice, your, your uh, clinic practice. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll keep giving you federal money if you promise to quit doing abortions because they say, oh, 3%, less than 3% of our medical activity has to do with doing abortion. Oh, it should be easy to get rid of. You can keep all the federal dollars. Nope, that's not what we want to do. So, uh, they did 332,757 abortions. They killed little children in 2017, 12 months, 2017 to 2018. They keep saying it's just... 3% are left of all of our activity. That's proven to be totally wrong. They actually give bonuses for killing kids. They have quotas. Uh, they just fired this uh, Chinese, cute little Chinese doctor, ER doctor, Liana Wynn. 
Wynn. Leanna Wynn. And they hired her to take over from that liar uh, that, that ran that thing for decades. So Leanna Wynn came in, and she... Uh, So I'm just, if abortion, so the question is, if abortions are just 3% or less of your annual activities, why do they determine Planned Parenthood's direction 100% of the time, right? They're always fighting for the right to abort, right to kill somebody. Uh, so that's, that's, what's, uh, that's what's going on with Dr. Wynn didn't even make it to full term. They canned her within nine months of the time they hired her because she wanted to take Planned Parenthood in a different direction. Not necessarily to stop doing abortions, but to uh, to argue the fact that it's a health it's a health issue and not a political issue. So we'll see. They we'll see how it's going to work out without them. Well, let me uh, before we get too close to the end, I want to thank uh, Ted Holmes and and uh, the plumbing doctor for helping me out over here and doing a good job in our area. And you can reach them 24 hours a day. A lot of times you need something fixed in the middle of the night, particularly if you have a business. You have one of these fast foods, whew, backing up. Things are backing up. Need need somebody out there right now. Plumbing doctor can do that. Maybe you're Maybe you got people over. You got people, extra people staying in. You're having a big event for the weekend, and all of a sudden the plug toilet plugs up. Something happens. You can call the plumbing doctor at five three zero six seven one nine one one one. They put in new water heaters. They put in new sinks. They put in fixed garbage disposals. They, you know, the line that takes your sewage out to the street. They can do those. They can bring in the lines that bring water from the street. They can make sure the water, whether it's contaminated by you or clean coming in, is running in the right direction and not leaking and causing you lots of problems. By the way, did you know that sometimes you could use twice as much water as you need to? If you're in the city of Marysville, you're in trouble because it's a fortune to have to use the water here. <clears throat> it's like drinking whiskey. It's so expensive. So, uh, your toilets, if they've been around a while, could be using twice the gallonage per flush that these new, newly designed toilets. And I changed mine out at the suggestion of uh, plumbing doctor people. They said, Lou, these toilets are big old, big old water users, right? So, you know, if you're living in an area like Yuba City where you are Marisol, where you're getting ripped off by the water district. A private water district uh you're watching every drop right because you, you ever had a, a little leak somewhere and it it's not a lot it just it just keeps going but you know overnight 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 24 hours a day 24 hours a day 20, pretty soon you add up all those leaks we're talking about you're just you're just paying somebody and the water is just going down the drain right it's a total ripoff so uh Anyway, if you call a plumbing doctor, they can fix those things up for you. 530-671-9111. You'll get somebody on the phone, and they will get a plumber out there to solve your problems right away. Uh, let's see. 
Where are we going to now? Oh, do you, I, I think I mentioned to you earlier that Berkeley, Berkeley prides itself, the city council, on doing radical things and, and claiming that we're, we're the brainiacs of the United States and we're, break, we're bringing breakthroughs like we had to break through like we're the first city to like ban straws. They didn't buy it, ban any other plastics, right? But they banned straws. Good for them. They banned straws. Now they're going to ba- ban natural gas. So natural gas is, is uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I'm jumping around. Almost got it right down here. Almost. So natural gas is, I don't know what your preference. I I I don't know whether it was my parents' home years ago. They got one of those cooktops. I think they did. They went from gas, which I don't know. They were they lost their mind. I think they just want something to look cool. And they had a uh, a cooktop that was like like corningware type product. And then it just had the circles where you put your pan or pot. But you never knew how hot it really was because you couldn't visually see anything. So gas is uh, is much easier to use, and it's much cheaper than electricity. And it's interesting that Berkeley, right now, everybody's got PG&E by the short hairs. So the PG&E people showed up to Berkeley City, City Council to endorse not using natural gas any longer, which is like, crazy so natural gas appliances account for 27 percent of the city's greenhouse gas emissions i don't know how they even come up with this stuff they just make this stuff up this kate harrison councilwoman kate harrison so they want to cut down their greenhouse gas emissions to 33 percent of what they were in 2000 by 2020 how do they even measure those gases? I think they're just using some kind of rule of thumb guess. It's just incredible. Uh, Pacific Gas and Electric spokesperson Darren Klein spoke in favor of the ordinance, saying the company is in favor of all electric construction. Now, that's a freaky thing right there that they're they're in favor although they're not chipping in any money they're in favor on just eliminating gas altogether i'm just trying to look at a couple of the notes i made on this so Basically, they're saying that all new construction, restaurants, businesses, houses are going to have to eliminate gas. So if you're used to cooking at a restaurant with gas, no way. You're going to have to go electric. And my experience is it it took a while for the electricity to heat up on the the stovetop. Now, maybe it's changed now because this is years and years ago. But it was pretty advanced when my parents bought it. And uh, it was pretty cool looking. It just, when you turn on gas, it's immediately having an impact on the bottom of your pot. Or maybe on your hot water heater. Uh, 
But uh, but anyway, that's the situation in Berserkly, and they passed it, and they're going for it. So, uh, well, that brings brings us to the end of our show today, and uh, this is again our seventeenth podcast, and you can uh, we'll be back next week. I've already got some some of my raw material work because I had some extra time when I was overseas. So we'll be back next week, and we thank you for listening, and uh, we thank Tanner Martis down there in Texas. He, he, he transplanted from California, he and his wife, and baby, and he's helping me put these together for you. So give a shout-out to Tanner, or you can pray for him. So this week, as you run into people, you might wonder, who is this person? And you never know. You, want, you just want to treat everybody kindly. Because otherwise, you may be working with an angel and not really know it. All right. See you later. Sugar to kiss.